Our country, the noblest country in the history of men, was based on the principle of individualism, the principle of man's inalienable rights. It was a country where a man was free to seek his own happiness, to gain and produce, not to give up and renounce, to prosper, not to starve, to achieve, not to plunder, to hold as his highest possession a sense of his personal value, and as his highest virtue, his self-respect. So that whole goal of loving your own life, that's from The Fountainhead. Uh, my favorite author is Ayn Rand. You can go to my website, drkenner.com, and see her books. And that whole focus of loving your own life, not looking to how you can be a door, not looking at how you can be a doormat in life and how many people you can serve and who can you compete with your siblings and your mother in terms of sacrificing, who sacrifices the most, gets the prize, the unhappiness. Uh, you're supposed to be happy, but nobody ever is. They're always cynical and bitter and burnt out. And I've done for everyone else my whole life. And I finally want to do something for myself. But of course, they can't because they've grown up doing for everyone else. And so they don't know how to live their own life. Well, Ayn Rand gives a very different view, and that's that it is your life, and you have a right to set rational goals and pursue them and never step on anyone else. You never take anybody else for granted or or use them or manipulate them, but you also don't lie down and allow them to step on you. You own your own life, and you own your own uh, you're your own top value and you have tremendous respect for yourself and you're much happier and you get along a lot better with other people too and they like you more. So that's just a plug for loving your own life. And of course, my show is all about that. It's the rational basis of happiness. Right before the break, I was um, answering an email from Bill who has a very bad case in, of procrastination in his words. And notice, Bill, you use a phrase. You say, I am physically unable to work. Now, you're not handicapped. You say you can only work unless I'm in a time constraint and pressure to do so. So I challenge you to challenge that statement because you are certainly physically able to work. You just need willpower. You need to do what I was talking about before the break, prioritize, take the most important thing first that you need to get done that you're putting off and is causing you a lot of problems. And then you need to ask yourself, when when you hear all that resistance in your mind, you need to find out, write down for 10 minutes, all the details that, you know, why you're procrastinating and what you would do if you were to start working on this project. Let's say it's um, that your basement is flooded and you need to clean it out because everything's getting moldy and awful. We've had uh, a lot of rains recently. So that's what you want to do. You want to be able to write down, well, I don't want to clean the basement because it's, it smells down there and I don't want to have to deal with all my old junk. And then you start to figure out a way to say, well, where would I begin? I would begin in the corner near the washing machine and dryer and maybe clean up that area and then go over to my pile of books. And if they're mildew, just throw them out. You start to prime your subconscious with what needs to be done. Um, and that will help start you. But it's willpower that you need at that point because you've already given yourself some of the details in writing about it for 10 minutes, and now you want to move into action. Now, what prevents anybody from 
got moving into action. Well, in a book by Frank Bruno, Stop Procrastinating, um, he talks about several different things. One of them is the need for autonomy. We all love to feel in charge of our own lives. And if, as a kid, we've always been told, you have to clean your room, we say, I'm going to do what I want to do. There's that autonomy. Don't step on my choices, and I choose to make them independent of you. You want me to clean my room? I won't clean my room, Mom. Another reason people procrastinate is they fear failure, and they leave it to the last minute. And I think I'm partly guilty of this one, that you leave something to the last minute, and then you say, boy, I wrote this paper just last night, and wow, I got a B on it. And so you want to look like a hero for getting a lesser grade than an A, uh, but oh my God, you did it in one night, how great. And you also want that honesty, that if you feel that there's um, some inglorious reason as to why you did something, it's better to face it and then to try to get over it, to try to not have that operative in your own mind. Another reason that people procrastinate is they fear success. They are afraid, well, what happens if I'm in the spotlight? Or what happens if I do become successful? Or if I do pass? I've, I've had this image of always being the underdog, and I don't know how I would deal with success. So sometimes people struggle with that. Another one is... Um, just you may have had some pretty bad childhood experiences. I know I mentioned one earlier, but Dr. Bruno says adverse childhood experiences can be a source of resistance. If something happens in childhood that makes you feel inadequate, incompetent, or ineffective, you may readily generalize the experience over to your adult life and mistakenly think that the same situation exists in the present. Dr. Bruno describes the case of Kirk, a 34-year-old man who's procrastinating in returning a letter to his, a friend of his. Kirk hates to write letters. And then he traced his resistance to writing letters back in his childhood. His father used to insist that Kirk write letters to all relatives to thank them for birthday gifts. And his dad would read these letters and heavily criticize the letters, marking them up in red ink, and then insisting that they be rewritten. This killed any spontaneity and enjoyment in letter writing. It made it into a duty, and it undermines Kirk, Kirk's confidence. And he subconsciously generalized these feelings to writing any sort of letter or memo. And so he procrastinates now. He dreads the tasks, the task, but hopefully when once he identifies it, he's able to break through and make some um, progress with this. There are also other reasons for procrastination, um, but I won't procrastinate and I won't continue on this question any longer. One of them is hostility. You, it's like past being very passive aggressive to someone. You can't make me do it now. I'm not going to. And you become uh, very passive aggressive. So I hope you help. I hope that helps you out, Bill. That's a lot on procrastination. And right now, I want to turn to. Let's see, we have time for a shorter question right now. Um, and that would be, dear Doctor Kenner, I have a four-year-old grandson and a seven-year-old granddaughter who, along with my daughter, have lived with my husband and me for the past year and a half. So get it: the daughter and her two kids have moved in with grandpa and grandma. The four-year-old talks constantly, and it drives me crazy. He, he he won't even sit quietly by himself, and he always needs me to listen to him. He goes to uh, preschool 
three days a week, and he plays well with others, but his constant conversation and talking to himself and making sure I'm listening to him at all times is bothering me. I don't want to be impatient with him, but there is no quiet time for us. He's a loving child. I adore him. Help me out. Uh, This is from Grandma Pam. Grandma Pam, I think the main problem is between you and your daughter. Because this, he may be darling and he may love to chat up a storm. But why is your daughter living with you? You know, maybe it's temporary and she's in a financial bind and you're helping her out. But you don't want it to be a boomerang situation where she moves in and this becomes a permanent situation. Um... I would talk with her about this and see if she could arrange for sitters. You, the burden shouldn't be on you, but see if she can arrange for some mother's helpers or grandmother's helpers to come in so that you get several hours of relief. Or maybe you could go back to courses. You need to set some boundaries with your daughter. With your grandson, there are some things you can do too. You can, and what I've encouraged parents to do is to say, this is, this is my time to be with you. And the next hour I'm with grandpa alone. And the next hour is with me alone. Of course, if he's very young, he's only four years old, I think he'd be able to understand that. But you carve out certain corners of time that are solely not to be interrupted. My parents had the, right when my dad came home from work, my parents would go into their bedroom and just have adult time for about an hour. Now, I don't know what they did. Maybe they had sex. I don't know. But to this day, I never asked them. But we knew we just weren't to knock on their doors. There were three little girls. It was me and my two sisters. And they were able to carve out that time that was privately their time. And I think that's real important. I think that's real important for all adults. Otherwise, you go insane with your own kids whom you love. You need to carve out time. You need to get babysitters. You need to get some help. So when we get back, I will talk about uh, the the mother who barges through the door um, on the son and daughter. And also, what if you went to a birthday party and there's for a two-year-old and there's a two-story blow-up elephant to jump in and a lot more goes on at this party i'm dr ellen kenner on the rational basis of happiness the driving factor for high-performing organizations is the presence of an overall leadership culture far associates has set the standard for helping organizations integrate exceptional leadership qualities into their cultures that dramatically improves performance visit farr.net here's an excerpt from the selfish path to romance The Serious Romance Guidebook by clinical psychologist Dr. Ellen Kenner and co-author Dr. Edwin Locke. How do you make yourself worthy? Genuine self-esteem comes from relying on your power to think. Here are some examples of what this means. Thinking about the long-range consequences of your actions, not just about the short range. Are you thinking about plans for retirement, the health consequences of your lifestyle? Making firm decisions about your life rather than drifting aimlessly. Do you think about finding a job that you really enjoy? Choosing your own values rather than thoughtlessly copying what others seek. Do you copy your parents' or peers' values without thinking, or do you choose your own? You can download Chapter 1 for free by going to drkenner.com. And you can buy The Selfish Path to Romance at amazon.com.